If ever you go to Dublin town in a hundred years or so, inquire for me in Baggett Street and what I was like to know. He was a queer one, full of little Ido. He was a queer one, and I'll tell you. Hello and welcome to If Ever You Go, a Northside Dublin Perspective. My name is Pat Lynch and I hope you will join me as we journey through the Dublin One City One Book selection for 2014 entitled If Ever You Go, a map of Dublin in poetry and song. In this programme we continue our literary journey of the north side of Dublin city centre. We feature the poet Alan Jude Moore. We also hear the self-penned compositions from the pupils of St David's National Boys School. And to begin, we hear from Jessica Trainer reading from and discussing her poem, Summerhill Moon. October evening, I ride the bus over summer's high hill, eye to eye with the moon in the pinching black sky. When I get home, it's balanced on the roof of the Ballybock house. I call you out, press my hand in yours, watch the moon as it languishes like a lemon slice fallen from some deity's cocktail. It's far from cocktails we are, and the moon is a bitter gift, but a gift nonetheless, held in the heat between our palms. A lovely poem. We've heard such a variety of poems in the series, and uh, this one, um, it's straight to the point. It's capturing a moment, capturing an image. Um, if you want to tell us about your memories of writing that poem, is it, I mean, I know you're from that area. Yeah, I was I was coming home after a, a kind of a very long day's work, um, quite late. Uh, I was on the I was on the one two three bus. It was October. It was dark. Um, I was cold. I was tired. Um, and I was coming over the 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 canal bridge on just after Summerhill Parade and I just caught sight of the moon and the sky and it was just one of those moments where despite the fact that I was uh, feeling a little bit exhausted and there were many different things going on in terms of money worries and things like that that I just saw the moon and thought wow this is fantastic so it was just one of those gorgeous little epiphanies that you have that kind of gets you through the yeah. tougher moments um, and I literally the next stop is my bus stop so I got off and dragged my poor husband out into the cold to point at the moon at which point he thought I was completely mad but this is this is what you get living with a poet unfortunately <laughs> and it is that wonderful thing as you say it lifts you out of the the ordinary you know yeah and was it kind of, it did sound a bit like a bingo moment Oh, there could be a poem in this or is it, is it that <laughs> absolutely absolutely but it was also kind of a very hopeful moment yeah. I think you know just even even in kind of dark times there there is all of the the rest of the world is around you and you can't get too caught up in your own experience and you have to occasionally just look at the things that are happening around you yeah. and outside yourself yeah. and take a little bit of solace in that and yes. really the notion was I kind of thought I suppose from from that that parade or the Summerhill parade the, the bridge there down to my house which is you know a distance of two minutes on the bus I had kind of made some sort of a little journey from mm. feeling very sorry to myself from kind of thinking actually these are the things that I do have Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think if you that, I thought to myself that is a, a journey that you might take in a poem so yeah it Absolutely. did kind of almost these things sometimes write themselves to some extent Yeah and it's lovely I think one of the most moving lines in it for me is I mean there's obviously lovely imagery there and it mm. goes from the the very general to the very specific to the intimate. You're, you're dealing mm. with something epic like the moon and then yeah. you're coming into this couple's home almost in some way and that thing where she said it's far from cocktails we are. <laughs> yeah. it, it's almost, at one level, it's, it's a bittersweet moment but it, 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 
there's just something nice about it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the closest we were going to get to a cocktail that night was having a look at the moon kind of balanced <laughs> there on the roof of the house or the Ballybock house, the flats across the road. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are the moments where you think, well, there are things out there that are better than cocktails. And, you know, would you trade all this in to be sitting in a lovely bar somewhere? You yes, know, yeah. probably not. Yeah, it's those <laughs> the moments of, of intimacy, something like that, that just yeah, takes you out of the ordinary. Absolutely. Yeah. And then having realised, you know, that there was something special in that. How long would it take you to finish a poem like this? It, it feels so complete. Well, I kind of, um, my, my process is very much about taking away, taking away, taking away. And that's why I have so many poems that are quite brief because I, I tend to write something down. It always goes into a notebook first um, just because I find, I feel like when you put something down on a computer, it feels much more definite. Mm. It's kind of fixed there on the screen. And obviously I do edit on my computer, um, but I love just writing things down in the notebook first, crossing things out as I go along. Um, but with this poem, it kind of came came to pretty much fully formed. Oh, yeah. um, but I did do editing. I definitely pared it back. I took mm. things out and I was just trying to get to because it was a tiny moment, yeah. you know. And I think that if I had, uh, you wouldn't want to over egg a tiny moment to mix several metaphors. Uh, but, you know, you don't want to overload it yes. uh, because it is what it is. And if you can try and get at the essence of something, um, you know, that's what you're trying to achieve with course, poetry anyway, just getting really to the, the bones of something. And I wonder too, is it is it at times given the visual imagery in this well is it almost at times a little bit like the photographer with the photograph anybody can take a snap but to make it a photograph maybe you might be able to enhance it in some way or bring up certain light and then stuff like that is light and shade is that what it's like with a poem like this? Absolutely you are looking for it, especially when it's something minute you're looking to tease out something special from it or it shows some, show people something that's a bit surprising yeah. so for me that moment that I was trying to achieve was the, the moment of the, the kind of the, the half moon slanted which really did to me at the time look like a lemon slice and you know I, I heard um, the poet Carol Ann Duffy a while ago talking about uh, things that are difficult to, to write metaphors about and you know things like the moon the sea, rivers, things that are kind of uh, just beautiful yeah. uh, and there's no argument about that so how can you find a new way to make them interesting yes, yeah. um, and that's the kind of challenge with poetry and I'm not saying that I've necessarily <laughs> achieved that but that's what I was going for in that moment I was kind of thinking okay well I feel that this is a special moment but how can I show people something unusual, a kind of an image that grabs them slightly in this very tiny poem and gives them something lasting that maybe helps them find their own way into it. Yes. Um, so for me in the poem which is very personal I was hoping that that kind of lemon slice moment would just kind of make people stop and think, okay, I hadn't, yeah. I didn't expect that. Yeah, yeah, and it, 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 in its way, it's making it universal. Yeah, well, that's yeah. what you're hoping for, anyway. Absolutely, <laughs> and indeed, this is one of two poems that you have in the book. Mm-hmm. And given that the book is such a range of deceased, celebrated deceased poems, um, poets, and indeed modern poets, but you're one of the younger poets in it as well, and. You feel like you're very much on the cusp of a great career in poetry. Well, I hope so. And I'll put that in the back of my next book. <laughs> yeah, it's been really, really amazing to, to have been featured in the anthology along with, you know, the, just some of the highlights of, of contemporary Irish poetry. Um, it's been a fantastic thing for me and it's been it's given me wonderful exposure, but also lovely access to a community that I was very much on the cusp of, you know, uh, because the writing community is very, um, very accepting and very welcoming. But uh, poets are strange creatures, you know, they they in odd corners on their own writing poems uh, so this was lovely uh, the, the book was lovely um, in a sense that it brought everybody together yeah. in some ways and I, I was able to meet a lot of people whose work I really really admired yeah. um, so hopefully it'll give my own book uh, which has just uh, come out was released by Daedalus Press in September that little bit of extra momentum Alan Jude Moore reads from and discusses his poem 
Conversion at the Winding Stair Bookshop and Café. Three floors above the Hapenny Bridge, the wind off the Liffey howling like new religion through the streets. A prophet in a raincoat holds court in Russian. A jazz guitar tunes napkins to poetry. The Dutch tourist keeps time with his pen on the ashtray. A French girl might be sketching me. I do my best to look across the room, capable of something. I realise I have no favourite woman and no mother tongue. Speaking the language of short affairs and civic buildings, proposed afternoons, Che Guevara credit cards. I miss the alcoholics, the five-in-the-morning bullshit, thinking now of a woman's dry oligarchy, the order of her heart, the meritocracy of her sex. Alan, a very curious poem, this one. <laughs> I enjoyed this a lot from the point of view of someone who works in the city centre and over the last 10 or 20 years has totally enjoyed the multicultural aspect of our city. But what I got from this was, here's a guy who feels he's the one maybe who is not quite fitting in amongst this maybe more European mix. Um, not really. Okay. I think I wrote this years ago. This was written back in the 90s. Okay. And... I don't think it's about not fitting in. I think it's more about seeing it begin. Right, okay, okay. So it's more being conscious of Dublin always being sort of a multicultural place, mm. uh, at least in Irish terms, it always was maybe the most multicultural place. Yeah. So when we look at it now from our perspective now, it might look like there wasn't as much going on. Uh-huh. But I think then it seemed like things were beginning. Right, okay, okay. So it is more of an awareness of it as such. I think so, yeah. 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 But um, cu- and also a curious line there where he says about um, realising he's no mother tongue himself. Yeah. There's a sense of being aware of these people and their very specific identities, but well, maybe challenging himself a little bit. And I suppose so. I, like I wrote this, I think, shortly after I finished college and I, mean, I revised it and went back to it and changed it before it got published but the idea of it I suppose was beginning to write and beginning to look at how as a writer you might fit into your environment okay. to where you are yeah. and I think lots of poets you start off at a place that you're familiar with so in my case uh, so Dublin yeah. um, but no mother tongue I suppose was a nod to Beckett in a way right Kind of a maybe a little bit too too uh, self conscious that his reason for writing in French was that he considered himself as not having a mother tongue mm. in in that he English while his not his native tongue wasn't considered the Ar- an Irish person's mother tongue right and Irish wasn't his language so he he could write in French yeah um, there was a little bit of that maybe okay okay and, and but then he talks about missing. He's missing something, you know, the whole idea of missing the alcoholics. And I was curious at the way, the, the, maybe, I don't know if it was misprint in the book I had, B- Bull's Hit. That's <laughs> a misprint. To bullshit. I was wondering, <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, that's... I thought, you, I said, is this in code now or something? Because when you read it, it sounds like bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's, that's one of the few misprints in the book, unless, <laughs> unless they censored it, but I, I don't think Pat is a, a censoring no. type. <laughs> so he's missing, he's, he's in this changing... Dublin, if you like, and he's missing maybe what he knows. No, I think yeah. In a way, that's that's more to do with growing up. Mm. So it's that that's more a shift to the personal in the poem. In in a sense of again realizing that you're beginning to do this writing, you're beginning to do this work, and uh, 
a self-awareness of of you're putting some things behind you. Mm. You know, okay. that's kind of what I get from it now. Looking back on it, I mean, almost you know, fifteen, sixteen years after it was written. Yeah. Um. So it's it's not really missing. It's not it's not romanticizing any kind of old, mm. you know, old Dublin. It's it's more a sense of missing things that you you were putting behind you. Right. Okay. Okay. And then it goes somewhere else again into this moment of longing, desire. And he's already mentioned that he's no woman of his own. <laughs> no favourite woman. <laughs> okay, no well, favourite woman. Okay, okay. Um, but that was a long time ago. Um, I, I think, you know, the desire is universal. That's that's the, the part of the poem is that, you know, there is no, there's no time when people don't desire things. It's, mm. it, it's universal across everybody, whether in Dublin or the Dutch tourist or the French girl or whatever. It's, uh, it's just a switch into a personal thing in the poem. Uh, people sitting in cafes. What are you thinking about? What are you doing? Mm. What are you writing? So it's not. It's kind of more random then. It's more random. Yeah, yeah. You could say that maybe. Yeah. So to add, well, I suppose tell us. Maybe we should have said seeing. I suppose with the location, it's in the title anyway. Yeah. And it's always been seen with seeing. Uh, that same probably was back then as well as a very kind of almost kind of bohemian kind of place. There's a good mix of people there. Writers. It kind of was then. You, I mean, you you said you remembered it. it's. It's a restaurant now. But yeah, in, yeah. In when we were younger, it was a cafe, and there weren't that many cafes around Dublin. And it was, I suppose, students and artists and writers would go, and people would sit there with their notebooks and yeah. pretend to, the equivalent of an iMac in, Star, in <laughs> Starbucks. Now it's and generally look cool, kind of thing. Try to look cool, yeah, <laughs> as cool as you can in nineties Dublin. So, so if you like, the the, the writer of the piece here is is finding his place in that maybe. Yeah, or maybe just trying to paint a picture of it to sketch it out, okay. you know. Yeah. Um, it's sometimes with, with with my writing, it's it's not always particularly bio, biographical. Mm. It might, it's, there's a sense of biography in it, but it can be a character. Th- there's often a detachment in there as well, you know. Okay. To to get across this, to try and make it more universal. Yeah, yeah. It seems to me it really is because it, it's it's certainly reflecting what was then the new emerging Dublin. But 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 it's curious that I think he's the one who I interpret that feels a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean it's good that people can you know people can interpret it in different ways, and it, there's also a sense now looking at it from a distance. Um, we look at this, we we call that the new emerging Dublin. But when you were there in the middle of it, the same way as when people were in the middle of anything, mm. um, you don't look at it as something that's passé or no, old. It just is. You're always yeah. in the moment. Of so course, of course. Whatever your city is in the moment is, yeah. is, the, is that, that's the vital part of your city. Yes. Because that's where you and your contemporaries are living. So cities are always vital. Yeah. And that's part of what the, where the poem is coming from. Mm. They're like, or, they're like or organisms. Yeah, yeah. And they pulse and they grow and they develop and they can only develop. So if we tend to categorize things and say now is this stage, now is that stage, that's done afterwards. It's yeah. done afterwards, yeah. Because yeah. 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 when you're in that moment, you're in that place, it is what it is. Maureen Kennelly, Director of Poetry Ireland, tells us about their work with schools. In national schools, mainly what we're doing is running the Writers in Schools scheme. And some, so that normally works whereby we have about 150 writers um, maybe half of them poets so they also you have short story writers and screenwriters and novelists and they are on a scheme with us they get interviewed by us and we we select then writers for the scheme 
and um, they go into schools and they work in the classroom. So it's the kind of very exciting notion of a real living writer being in the classroom, working with children, sometimes for a short period as maybe an hour and a half or two hours and sometimes for a longer kind of spell, like a five hour spell. Um, And then as an extension of that, then again, we have our writers in residence scheme where a writer might go in over like eight to 10 weeks, which is a lovely engagement because in that you're getting the the children to to read an awful lot and but also critically to write as well and to to explore their own creativity in a very deep way. So that's that's the kind of best version of it, you know. And so what we do is we're funded by the Arts Council here in Dublin, but also by the Arts Council of Northern Ireland and Belfast to run the Writers and Schools scheme throughout the island of Ireland, in fact. So I think on on an annual basis, sorry, we would be working with we'd have engagement with like up to about 35,000 school children. Now that's both primary and post-primary. So it's, it's a lot. Maureen tells us about the Poetry Allowed competition. Very gratified the other day actually we had the novelist Joe O'Connor doing something with us but he was with his son James and Joe introduced me to, to his son James who's now probably 13 or 14 and said oh Maureen works with Poetry Ireland and James immediately said oh you run Poetry Allowed don't you? Which was fantastic. He did a very kind of positive engagement with it. And he'd enter the competition maybe last year or whatever, because that's that is only for secondary schools. Mm. And this year we had about 2000 kids. There is no entry fee or anything Mm. like that. So what you're depending on really is kind of interested and enthusiastic uh, teachers. But thankfully, there are no shortage of them. And they are looking at prescribed poems from the curriculum. And getting the kids to to speak those poems loud, I suppose we're we're not mad about the term recite because it conjures up images of singy songy kind of you know off by heart you know not really understanding. I suppose the key is the interpretation of the poem that the the student has that but can perform it in a very clear and mm. engaging manner. So we've had some amazing people come through, you know, who will I'm sure some will will have roles in public life. You know, it's really it's it's very inspiring actually watching them. And but they are speaking them aloud by heart actually I mean that's they, they have learnt them off you know yeah. but the key is that they interpret them and that they know them they know what they're saying so it's a brilliant competition and we were very lucky in being sponsored by Seamus Heaney he won the David Cohen Prize which was a lifetime award for literature in the UK back in 2009 and as part of that he there was a kind of a, a complimentary prize whereby he could commend somebody for this prize and he commended Poetry Loud for it so it's been funded which is a lovely connection obviously because many of the kids would obviously know and love and, and speak his work aloud so it's a really nice connection to have. We asked Maureen about visiting St David's National School I think it was in March this year I was in St. David's and there were two classes there. I'm guessing there might have been fourth and fifth then. And um, the poet Tony Curtis, who's one of the funniest, most engaging people alive, he conducted a workshop, which I was lucky enough, together with Anna Boner, our, our Writers in Schools person. We sat in on it and that was just terrific because just seeing the kids react to Tony is just amazing. Like, it's just sort of thing you sit there and you think oh god I wish my school had thought about doing these things when I was a young one um, he's just terrific like he's just gets incredible things out of kids it's just it's you, you just watch it and you're kind of thinking how does he actually do that you know and he's just bringing poetry alive making them all want to read it and to invent it for themselves so that's kind of pretty brilliant 
we asked some of the pupils from St. David's National Boys School to read some of their own compositions. It's um, called uh, December. Was it a sunny day in May or when I played a good tune in June? I cannot remember, maybe it was in September. But all I know is it involved a crow with eyes, with eyes as red as fire who lived upon the spire watching kids below playing in the snow. Oh, now I remember, it was in December. It's called The Witch's Cauldron. Double, bubble, toil and trouble, fire and boil and cauldron bubble, eyes of owl, claw of a towel, dog of a, do- a tongue of a dog, nose of a hog, ears of a cow, the voice of a cat that says meow, the pea in a lake, the venom in a snake. That's the end of my poem. You should run because my soup is done. I don't have a name for it though. <laughs> What's it about? Um, it's just about like this woman breaks up with a man. And then he just does a poem about it. Okay, she gives a blast. It's midnight love, it's midnight lies. I see my reflection and I'm saying, why, why, why? You might be angry, I understand why. In my sleep, I can still hear, I can hear you cry. Deep down in my soul, there's a devil in control. I hope an angel comes soon. If it doesn't, then I really need you. This poem is called Christmas Time. Christmas is a time for family and joy and for good kids, many a toy. Christmas is the most wonderful time of year, and a good thing is it's almost here. Christmas is a time I wait for all year round. I love Christmas songs, they have a good sound. Christmas Day is on December 25th, so be good, because you'll get a good gift. Christmas weather is really weird, your face will be kept warm if you have a beard. Speaking of Christmas weather, you don't know if you'll get snow or sun, so December 25th, get here quicker, because this year is going to be fun. The snowman. Have you ever built a snowman? It's very fun, you see. Just just roll a snowball on the ground to make a giant belly. If you're finding it a little hard, gather all your friends to help you with this part. Once you finish your snowman, sing a holiday cheer and Merry Christmas to you all and Happy New Year. And now two poems from the very heart of the city centre. Dublin Spire by David Lorden and Love Letter to My Henry Street Dealer by Keith Payne, both read for us by Alan Weldon. Cold steel colossus, squat between the heavens and the street, the street and the heavens. Part dragon, part dreadnought, part Star Wars, part panopticon, part Messerschmitt. You pierce the clouds, occupy the atmosphere, possess the rooftops, dominate the capital, diminish everyone in range. And so are suited to the worship of neoliberal pharaohs, bullies, Templars, Christian brothers, mafias, Ku Klux Klans, conspiracies and modern governments in general that are more heartless than any admiral that have no pulse and are unmovable that numb to the touch watch over all feeling for none with a face as blank and comfortless as an executioner's hood you brag of your unscalable heights your impenetrable flanks of how at dusk you lance the sunset from the sky set alight your tapering lure reel in the falling stars hack off their flaming tails impale their flying wishes Love Letter to My Henry Street Dealer by Keith Payne Keep your eyes peeled for the copper's love, they're all over the shop today. Her hand disappears into wintry lairs, roots round reinforced brassiers, fumbles under corsets and slips out, magically holding my pouch. A Dutch love letter from my Henry Street Dealer, still warm from the heat of her oxter. Fifty fat grams of halfswear shag in my back pocket, I'm flush for the week, patted against the cold days to come, a flourish of rolling and smoking down the basement flat till the soft tendril strands whisper away and I make my way back to the street for more of what's beneath her liberty bodice.
In Dublin's fair city, where the girls are so pretty, I first set my eyes on sweet Molly Malone, as she wheeled her wheelbarrow through the streets broad and narrow, crying cockles and mussels alive, alive, oh, alive, alive, oh, alive, alive, oh, crying cockles and mussels alive, alive, oh. She was a fishmonger, and sure was no wonder, for so was her father and mother before. And they wheeled a barrow through the streets broad and narrow, crying cockles and mussels, alive, alive, oh, alive, alive, oh, alive, alive, oh, crying cockles and mussels, alive, alive, oh. She died of a fever. And no one could save her, and that was the end of sweet Molly Malone. Now her ghost wheels the barrow through the streets broad and narrow, crying cockles and mussels, alive, alive, oh, alive, alive, oh, alive, alive, oh, crying cockles and mussels, alive, alive, oh. And that was Molly Malone's sung for us there by Jerry Cooley. And now we hear from some members of the public. We asked them how often they read poetry. Do you read or have you ever read poetry? Only at school. In school. <laughs> I did read it, yes. Only a little bit at school. I do read poetry, but I prefer to write my own. I have read a few, yes. Yes. It was just in school, I Not really, to be honest, no. <laughs> <laughs> Only in school. Yes, I do. I love poetry. I write poetry as well. Uh, yes, I've read um, some Irish poetry and English poetry. Thank you for joining us on If Ever You Go, a Northside Dublin perspective, our exploration of the Northside of Dublin through poetry and song. And many thanks to all the guests who featured in this programme. For further information on this series, check out nearfm.ie forward slash if ever you go serious. If ever you go to Dublin town in a hundred years or so inquire for me in Baggett Street and what I was like to know he was a queer one followed it a light oh he was a queer one and I'll tell you This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland.